Welcome to Shit You Don't Want to Talk About. Before listening to today's episode, please be advised, some content may include discussion around topics that are difficult to hear, especially for children under the age of 13. We want to encourage you to care for yourself, security, and well-being. Resources of each episode will be listed in the episode description and on the website shittotalkabout.com. Hey, Ian. Thank you for joining Shit You Don't Want to Talk About. And for our audience, please know that this is Ian with an E. I have stared at her name for far too long and go, how do I say her name again? How do I say her name again? And instead of being I-A-N, it's E-A-N and very, very simple. So welcome, Ian, to the show. What shit do you want to talk about? And please introduce yourself. I want to talk about money shit. Um, And I know it's one of my favorite topics, though. Uh, And the um, there's sort of two introductions. One is who I am and what I do, which is I'm uh, the founder and co-owner of a company called Moxie Bookkeeping and Coaching which is based out of Brooklyn, New York, even though I am currently living in California again. And then there's the the longer piece of the introduction about why why do I want to talk about money stuff? And that comes from an experience that I had in my personal life in my mid-20s where I really, I thought I had done everything right. I you know, worked hard. I got a work permit pretty early in life and worked at least one job, sometimes more than that, all the way through school. I am an incredibly hard worker. Um, I'm a, a very frugal person. I don't overspend on crazy stuff. But because I had never been taught any financial literacy, and I don't think most of us have, it's certainly not taught in school. So unless you've got a very specific kind of parents, you may never have learned this stuff. So that I found that even though I was working as hard as I could and saving as much money as I could doing things like living in a four bedroom apartment with seven roommates and all of those crazy things that we do in our twenties to try to, to save a buck. I found that because I was under earning at these multiple various jobs, you know, if there was a slow tips night or Um, if I was sick and had to call out, or if I had a roommate leave without paying a phone bill, I was getting further and further behind financially and covering that gap with credit cards. So what was going on my credit card were the basics of living, gas, groceries, utilities. And that's not what credit cards should be used for. I now know. (laughs) And where that got me to was this place where I was barely able to to pay the minimums, which was interest only, which meant at my current rate of of earnings, it was going to take me the rest of my life to get out of debt. Oh, damn. And, you know, that definitely felt like failure to me. It did not align with my work ethic and my values, et cetera. But I found myself in a position where the only logical choice was bankruptcy. So how old were you when that happened? Uh, 20 something, mid twenties, 26 ish. Okay. Yeah. So at the time where like the rest of my friends were all starting careers, starting families, like really finding themselves. And I was like drowning in debt. 
I may or may not relate to that one. So the deal that I made with myself was I'm going to file for bankruptcy, get out from, you know, from these tens of thousands of dollars in debt, but I'm going to figure out what happened because that was not on purpose. And so I began to learn about money and um, found out that one of the things that I'm really skillful at is bookkeeping and was able to freelance as a bookkeeper so I could set a living wage for myself and that I didn't have all of my employment eggs in one basket because one of my employers who I loved to death, um, we would all race to the bank to try and cash paychecks before he ran out of money. Oh, damn. Oh, damn. And so one of the things that I found being a bookkeeper was it wasn't just that one employer. It was so many small businesses so that even though I'm setting my own rates now and I'm the one cutting the checks to have the owner sign them, I'm often still running to the bank to get that check cashed before my client runs out of money. And I just began to see this like very harsh pattern of people sort of winging it for business. You know, they might have a great idea very successful, tons of income, but have no idea how to manage that money. So they were left, you know, running out of cash regularly and the negative effects of that ripple. So, you know, I began to try to look at, well, how can I do that differently in my business? And how can I shift things so that as I grow my own business, I'm not struggling with these same things of you know, why am I making so much money, but I'm still not taking any home? Or why am I the one to, you know, skip a paycheck if, if things are a little tight? Like what's, what's wrong, right? If I'm the one who's putting the most skin in the game, how come I feel like I'm dead last? And, um, you know, again, thankfully I had some really good things on my side. I'm very practical, logical. I actually like this stuff. So I can't even imagine how hard it is for people who don't like numbers or money or have a lot of, yeah, negative feelings or trauma or all of that stuff attached to it. It, it just makes it so hard. And of course, the easiest thing to do is just avoid it. Or you're in so, you're so used to living in financial crisis that you don't really realize how much pain it's actually causing. Um, you know, I think of it like a, like a dull toothache or a, or lower back pain that you just kind of are like, well, that's just what my back does. It just hurts all the time without realizing how much better life can be. If you just went and saw a chiropractor and got that put back into place, doesn't always work, but you know what I mean? So, uh, you know, as I was sort of learning how to balance all of that stuff on my own, I came across a book, 2015, I want to say, called Profit First. And this book changed the way that I do business. And what I mean by that is it, it shifted the way that I think about money because like all accountants everywhere and every report you've ever looked at financially, it's income minus expenses equals profit. So that system is set up almost for failure, right? Because profit's kind of the leftover. So it's no wonder that you feel like you're last in line because you are, you are the leftovers. Before we dig in deeper, and uh, this might be a a silly question, um, only because I know that 
deal with money and a bookkeeper deals with money. And then there's some accountants and uh, all those me. Like, that's a, not a silly question at all. It's a great question. Um, that's a little bit like saying, what kind of doctor are you, right? It's not a silly question at all because a doctor could be a dermatologist, an ear, nose, throat person, or a professor of philosophy. They're all doctors, but they do very different things. So the term finance and accountant is a really broad term that's like the term doctor. So, so a, a bookkeeper is a particular kind of accountant. Uh, a tax person, usually called an EA, an enrolled agent, or a CPA, a certified public accountant, they're a different kind of accountant. And then there's all sorts of other, you know, chief financial officers, CFOs, and financial advisors, you know, business and personal, we are legion, right? And, and that's true for doctors as well. Everybody's got a specialty. And, and so as a business owner, it can be quite frustrating to say, you know, my elbow hurts. Can you take a look at this and be met with, oh no, that's not my specialty. And you're like, but it's, it's, you're my doctor. You deal with my body. That's my elbow still on my body. What do you mean? You don't do elbows. And so very much with our businesses, you know, we go to ask a question of our accountant or our bookkeeper and they go, oh, that's not really what I do. And you're like, but you do money. Why you do my money? Why won't you do my money with me? And, and here's kind of, why I got so excited about this profit first cash management system is because I know that the limitation that I have as a bookkeeper or what I think of as management accounting, looking inside internally to make sure that all the things work well versus um, compliance or tax accounting, which is making sure that whatever you've done translates over to whatever the government agencies need to know about what you've done. Both of those are looking in the past. Both of those say what happened yesterday and do our books reflect that? Not the real question, which every small business owner, including myself has, which is, okay, that's cool, but what about today? And more importantly, what about tomorrow? What can I afford? Am I okay? Am I going to be okay? Or do I need to do something? And so what's messed up about that is that's not traditional accounting, <laughs> even though it's the thing that every business needs so desperately. And, and that's what Profit First, the system called Profit First around managing your cash really gives you. It gives you this insight into, um, am I going to be okay by planning the road ahead, if you will. So I think of bookkeeping and profit first as beans and rice. They exist separately. Each one on its own is fantastic, but it's really magical when it, when they, they're brought together. So the whole and system, yeah, please. As a side note for our audience real quick, I do want to say that yes, Ian is a, is more focused towards entrepreneurs and business. A lot of what we talk about today is also for personal finances. Even in our intro call, uh, Ian gave me tips as well. So this is definitely something that we all can learn from. And there will be some pretty good takeaways. So keep listening, even if you're like, but I don't want to start my own business. Yeah. And I get that. It's hard. It's not for everybody. 
<laughs> totally. And so, I mean, and the reason that I talk about it in that context is because I am a business owner, but, but what really sold me on, on this system was it was the system that I had been using in my personal life to recover from my bankruptcy because I didn't want to pay attention to my personal numbers. Right. I just wanted to know that I was okay. And, right. and then I began to fit, focus on this freelance business that eventually grew into a, um, a 15 person enterprise that I have today. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So this idea, and if, again, I think it's something that a lot of us sort of naturally gravitate towards, and it's not a particularly new system, right? I mean, Dave Ramsey talks about it. I think Susan Roman talks about it. It's grandma's envelope system. It's when I've got a chunk of money in, when I actually have you know, cash in hand, not what I think I might get tomorrow, I just divide that money up into the different things that I need it for so that I can't overspend. So you know, I know that I, in my personal life, what I have is um, monthly recurring stable expenses that are the same every month or within a few dollars. So, you know, car insurance, car payment, telephone bill, um, rent or mortgage, rent or mortgage, that sort of stuff. Then I've got my monthly recurring, but uh, a different amount every time, like groceries. Mm-hmm. but still, you know, necessary. Um, and then I've got sort of a wants category, like, you know, clothing. Yeah, it's a need, but it's also kind of a want. And so it just gives me a little bit of flexible room to decide, you know, how much goes in there. And then uh, I have a fun money account. And that's, you know, what I, I actually check that balance because if it gets too high, I know that I haven't had fun in too long and that COVID balance is, is much higher than it should be. <laughs> it's been collecting. And, and there's actually some really good, again, existing wisdom out there. Elizabeth Warren repeated some numbers that are also very common that ideally you shouldn't be spending more than 50% of your income on personal needs. Again, that's those stable and variable needs and about 30% for wants and then 20% for long-term savings. So in the wants, it would be all of the sort of fun stuff, uh, you know, vacation savings, et cetera. Anything you want to buy that's just sort of for fun stuff. Um, And so again, I think what, you know, the Profit First system took that same idea of let's work with percentages so that it's always responsive to this variable income that we may have either as freelancers or small business owners or whatever. And that way it's always responsive. So we can see, you know, is my bank balance staying the same or is it going down? Because if the bank balance is going down month after month, not day to day or week to week, but over a month, you know, month by month, then I know I'm not earning enough to fill it up to cover the things that I need to cover. And it gives me an early warning system to say, whoop, something's not working. I'm, I'm staring at you because uh, this, this, I follow this system. And I know that if you were to ask me when I was in my 20s, when I decided that it'd be super fun I'm saying this very, very sarcastically because (laughs) I thought I was doing great in my 20s. I definitely wasn't. Um, I racked up a lot of debt for myself that I'm still working to pay off. 
And this, I, I personally use your system. Uh, my partner and I, all of our uh, standard monthly bills, even like our flexible like groceries, we put it into a joint account. It all gets automatically paid. You know, it's taken us a while to kind of like figure it out, engage it. But and then I have a separate account, which is my play money. I can do yeah. whatever I want. Um, and then for myself, I also have my business account. And I'm pretty proud of where I'm at right now. Like if I was in my 20s, I'd be like, <laughs> me understand my finance, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yet I know that there is such a mindset of scarcity. There is I can, it's almost where even thinking about, I didn't know where my next meal would come from. Um, I wanted to keep up with the Joneses of, they're all going out, I'll go out. I want them to love me, so I'll pay for everything. I just want to, you know, look cool, so I'm going to get the same pants they have. And there, there's so much emotion tied to finances and to money and the dollar bill uh, or dollar pound, pound, single pound, or, all right, I'm going to get the currency mixed up across, across the oceans and cross uh, <laughs> country borders. So no matter where the money comes from, there is such an emotional tie to it that it's, it destroys marriages and relationships and it destroys friendships with lending money. Um, it It is such a taboo subject. Yep. Um, and I wish that I could tell myself where to start back in the day, but I don't even really know where I started. It just kind of was a bunch of small steps and I'm out where I'm at and I'm like, okay, cool, I got it figured out. That doesn't help anybody else. So... I mean, that's the way that any of us figure out anything is just by taking small steps and seeing how it goes, you know? And I think there's two, probably more than two kinds of people, but the two main things that I sort of know about from mindset work is a lot of people who promote mindset work say, you know, fake it till you make it and use positive affirmations and you know, really create this mindset space for yourself to grow into. And that does not work for me. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I'm the kind of person, and I know affirmations are supposed to be believable, et cetera, but I'm the kind of person that is just uh, kind of cranky about all of that. And so, you know, if you want me to be like, oh, I'm so like, I feel so fulfilled now that people are throwing money at me for me doing what I love. I'm just going to be like, really though? So (laughs) I have to, I have to approach it from a way that works for me, which is um, I have to go for evidence. I have to look for the evidence of seeing it happen and then affirm that when I see it, which is like, again, a weird flip. So, so instead of, you know, sort of starting my day and and having affirmations, what I do is I know what is the one thing that I am working on shifting my beliefs around. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of processes about like, 
what do you want to be able to believe and do you believe it? And if not, like, can you make it more realistic without diminishing it too much? And so if what I, if, if what I can get to is I, I've made it this far, I've made it this far, right? I definitely have, hasn't always been perfect, but I'm doing okay today. So I must've done something right. And then to be able to, to sit and think and write out where are all of the places in my life that I've either already uh, faced and conquered hard things in general or, or next to find where the places that I've faced difficult things with money and, ha- and it went well for me, right? So not the fight with my roommate where they stormed off and didn't pay the phone bill, but the conversation I had a friend where I had loaned them a couple of bucks and been like, it would be really helpful for me if you were able to pay this back by the end of this month. And even if they didn't end up doing what I wanted them to do, to be able to be like, look how clear I was, look how calm I was, you know, look how much grace and dignity I brought to that conversation. I can do this. And to, and to really Take a moment to allow yourself to see the evidence of how much shit we already are really good at dealing with. And so just because we're dealing with a blue fish instead of a red fish, still just a fish. We know how to do a fish. We've done fish before, right? So, so that's how mindset works for me. Okay. And I think not a lot of people talk about it in that way. Yeah, I, I can relate in the fact of Even, uh, I've talked about it a bit. I took a close to a 40 to 50% pay cut to go be an intern at a video production company. And then come to find out, especially when COVID hit, I ended up doing a job that I should have been paid triple what I was making for as much work as I was doing. And it was crazy to me because I, it wasn't the fact that I, how little I was making, it was, I couldn't see that I could get a job that paid me more. I honestly didn't believe it until I started working with a coach and he helped me really clarify of, he's like, all right, write a list of all the things you want out of a new job and what you don't like in this job. And then he helped me change it which his name is Taylor. So anybody that wants to hit up a career coach, he's phenomenal. Let me know. I'll tag him somewhere if to put, to go bug him. Um, and, but he helped me change all of the negatives to a positive. Yep. So in the fact of, I don't want to be lied to the positive would be, I want a team that I can trust. Yep. And so that I, I, I mentioned this specifically in the fact that I didn't realize that was something that, yes, it's a mindset thing, but it really did help in the fact in that I really relate that to you because I can say, I don't like that. I spend so much money on X, Y, Z. And now I go, okay, I know that I come from a background where my father would get a bonus. And instead of paying the backlogged mortgage for three months, 
he bought a Nintendo and a new TV. Instead of paying child support, he bought himself a new truck. You know, like that is the mindset that I grew up with of you get money, you got to spend it. And it's that patience that you were talking about of going, okay, what are things that I've done that are good? It's also, I really want to acknowledge everyone listening to this and listen that listens to the podcast in general. You're taking a step to acknowledge of, hey, I'm not alone in this. Other people go through this shit too. This is shit to talk about. And life is hard in general. And one thing that I really, <laughs> to this day, I talked to my mom about this. I'll call my mom randomly and I'll be like, adulting is hard. I don't want to adult anymore. I thought I really wanted to adult. Adulting is hard. <laughs> and adulting is so much harder when we don't understand finances and when we're scared of them and avoid them. And it takes time. Like, I just want to drill it down. And this is something you you and I talked about, Ian, is that it's a step-by-step process for us to figure it out. and really hone in. And I know that I'm just repeating everything you just said, Ian, but I really want the audience to listen (laughs) of if you can understand one fish, you can understand another fish. If you can understand how to start training for a marathon, you can figure out finances. I feel like if you can get, you know, out of bed for the day, you can figure out finances. And I don't mean that for all of our disabled listeners, like, I hope you get the metaphoric version of this, not the physical, but it's definitely a very, very difficult process. But once you're there, it does get easier. Absolutely. Right. It's a learned skill. I'm proof of that. Yes, I have a natural aptitude for it. So I learned it quickly and decided that I liked it, but I went from knowing nothing to running a bookkeeping firm, you know? So it, it's, it's a lot like learning to drive, right? If, if, you've, if you've learned to drive, you may remember back to that feeling of terror sitting behind the wheel in this giant metal hulk. And like, if I push the wrong button, maybe me and everyone on the road dies, you know? I don't know. Me that driving manual, 100%. <laughs> but I know how to do it now. Right? Even if I don't drive that car for forever, I know right. how to do it. I'm very happy. <laughs> and so with practice, we lose our fear. We gain confidence. And pretty soon we're rolling down the highway with the radio tuned up high, you know, singing along because we don't have to think so carefully about, wait, where is my turn signal? Wait, is that the windshield wiper? Wait, what, you know, what am I doing here? Um, and, you know, and, and it, it's, it's definitely learnable. And we've learned things before. So the the other piece that I would add to mindset that I also think does not get talked about nearly enough is the idea of safety. That, you know, just using your example of having a father who modeled when we get money, we blow it on fun stuff rather than pay the bills. There may or may not be some additional stuff in there of if I pay my bills first, I'm betraying my father. I yeah, mean, that's or, a very strong word, but. Yeah, yeah. Or even uh, if I pay my bills first, I'm never going to be able to have fun. Right. Like right. that is, 
or if I pay my bills first, I'm not going to be able to buy my partner this or buy other people's stuff because they're not going to love me. Um, I'm just randomly throwing out examples I've dealt yeah. with. Um, and so the, the key where it becomes an, an issue of safety rather than mindset is, is that additional little flavor you just put in there is, if I don't do this, they won't love me. And the feeling of not being part of a community is imprinted in us as danger, right? That's not something that we don't like. That's something that fundamentally challenges our survival skills to not feel loved and taken care of. And so that's why we have these weird sort of acting out things with money of hoarding or overspending or, or both, because there's this deep seated fear in there that it's not safe to not use money to buy love. If I don't do this, people won't love me. And, and so again, all of the affirmations in the world, if you're not acknowledging that are not going to fundamentally shift because you can say, you know, I'm going to be better about my spending or I'm going to be intentional about my spending or I'm going to, but, but if it comes to the moment in life where you and a dear friend are at a restaurant and you love her, of course, you're going to reach for that, you know, check and be like, I got it because I love you. And I want you to love me back. Or there's plenty of times that I've paid for it for family just because I want them to be proud and think I have everything put together. And I honestly used to say, fuck money. I hate it. Go away. And I'm just going to put on this facade that I have everything put together. And at one point, and this is totally like learning to drive a car, starting to walk, you know, start slow. I threw out to one of my friends. I was just like, hey, can can we just watch a movie at home? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, yeah. And I'm just upfront with them. At least for myself, this works for me. This does not work for everybody. But I'm just like, dude, I don't want to go out and spend money. I got a bottle of wine. It's much cheaper. Just crash in my house. We'll just, you know, way cheaper drinking at home than going out. Or, and and I do understand that those dynamics really do change when you're single or in a committed relationship as well. Or if you're an outdoorsy person compared to you really love to dance. I say that because I really love to dance as well, but clubs are really overwhelming for me that I'd rather have a dance party at my house. Um, and But one thing that I learned about myself that was kind of cool and I learned to appreciate, okay, so it wasn't kind of cool, it's really cool, is that I've always loved to thrift. My friends and family have always told me that I dress like an old lady. And that sometimes I look like an old lady and that, of course, I would love thrifting because I'm an old lady is basically just the synopsis of this. And I love it because to our point of, of if I don't do X, they won't love me. If I don't dress like them, they won't love me. I've learned that there are things and this really helped me change my mindset. There are things you invest in. And there are things that are, you can go into it knowing that it's going to be thrown away. 
and then also having something that will be destroyed and need to be replaceable very often compared to something that's going to live for 10 years. And that was a huge shift for me. Yep. How did you go through that? When you first went through bankruptcy, you said that, like, what, how, what was that point that you were like, oh my God, I have all this credit card debt? Because I feel like, how long did you realize that you couldn't make those minimums and go from that point? It took me a while. Again, because I I believed work hard and you'll succeed. I believed that. And I was working really hard. So it just, my, my mentality did not allow for anything else to exist, you know? Um, so I just had to sort of like realize that the math doesn't work, but I was not a math person. I still don't like math. Um, thankfully bookkeeping software does all of the math for us. Otherwise I wouldn't be a bookkeeper, <laughs> but it was this idea, uh, you know, cause I played the shell game of opening new credit cards to get 0% and transferring everything over. And I w- called and negotiated and like had my interest rates drop and negotiated my payments. Like I was on it. And in fact, at one point I paid a um, credit consolidation company or something And they were able to do nothing for me because I had already done it all. Of course, they kept my money. But, you know, that was, again, sort of one of those places where I was just like, I just feel like I can't do anything right. You know, I'm going to the people who say they're experts, but I already did everything that they're going to do. And if they had told me that up front, I could have saved that money and put it towards my credit card bill. So, so I think I just kept thinking, you know, oh, well, next month, it'll sort itself out, right? Next month, I'll just pick up another shift and it'll sort itself out. But for every positive, there was always a negative, you know, Um, or I'd pick up so many shifts that I'd make myself sick and then need to take time off. And again, you know, working outside of the corporate structure, there was no health insurance. There were no, there were no paid sick days. Um, uh, you know, so, so it just, it got to the, I, I just don't think I considered that there was another option until, until I was like looking at this stack being like, I just, I'm out. I'm literally out of cash. I have no way to pay this. Uh, they won't give me another credit card to do my little shuffle with. It's just gotten out of control. So that was it. I, Something uh, that you mentioned earlier came up while you're telling us about this, that you talked about how you set up your standard finances and you set up, uh, you know, the rest of it can go to a play fund or a fun fund. Um, Something that I don't think that we've talked about that really um, my partner is way better at this than I am is. You don't put shit on your credit cards, any daily expenses, and it's all on your debit card. And I'm like, but wait, there's miles, but wait, there's this, but wait, we need that cash for something. I am the best at excuses and I feel so bad for Tyler because, oh, I almost want him to convince me out of myself. And he's like, you can be so combative. And I'm like, 
I almost just want you to uh, convince me that I'm just trying to explore all the possibilities. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I just it. It's not to make him the bad guy. No, of course not. Is it's just you know, it's just different. Need to be reminded not to put anything on credit cards. And can you go a little bit more into like using cash versus? And when I say cash, meaning debit, yeah, um, versus credit. I mean, I, uh, I'm kind of in camp miles. I love me, my free stuff. I bought some good Christmas gifts for people this year on my points. So I feel like I'm unwilling to give that up. The difference is I pay my credit card weekly and I pay it in full. So I'm never carrying a balance anymore. I don't even wait for the full month to go through because I can charge up more than I meant to if I'm not really careful. And so for me, that comes out of, okay, you know, because well, I put groceries on my credit card and my husband and I share the same card. So that's the thing is if I pay it weekly, I can be like, whoa, <laughs> you know, we did a Costco trip this week. Like, let's slow it down a little bit, you know, and, and so that just keeps it fresh in my mind rather than this month's bill for last month's spending affects next week's money. It's like, nope, it's all, it's all just happening right now. It's all happening right now. And if I do charge something larger than I was um, really thinking about when I did it, I now have a couple of weeks before the bill is due to, to, again, make sure that it is paid before it's even due. So that's my workaround. You know, I'm, I'm not a fan of telling people what to do because we all have our own motivations and we all have our own ways of doing things. And um, I am a huge, you're not the boss of me person. <laughs> and 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 please mention the myth because I'm like staring at them. Oh uh, yeah. Before Ian and I got started, she sent me the five myths of money, and I'm just like, oh, these are so good. And what you're talking about is, it's like right on the ball with number one. Right. So you know, so there's this myth that you need a budget, and in fact, there's even a an app called You Need a Budget. And what I love about the app You Need a Budget is that makes it so you don't need a budget because it does that same thing. It says, well, what do you think you're going to spend in each category? Like estimate what we think you need. And then if you go over that, the app goes, okay, well, where's that going to come from then? And you go, oh, we use that. What'd you say? <laughs> we use that. Yeah. We use, uh, you think you need a budget or I don't even remember what it's called. Tyler one. Set it up. Yeah. YNAB is, is one. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's what yep. it is. Um, there's a bunch out there, pocket card, Zeta money, all sorts of things. And more and more of them are coming tied to their own debit card. Cause that's how they make money is on those, is on those fees. So you really don't need a budget. You know, I think again, that that's a way that people feel like they're in control of the money, but it's really just numbers on a page when that's not what needs to be controlled. What needs to be controlled is the real world stuff. And even control, you know, I kind of bristle at that word. I don't want to be controlled. I do want to be intentional. I do want What's to be the difference there. To me, intentional is me making my own decision and controlled feels like a very external decision. Like right? you're being made to make the decision instead of yeah. making the choice. Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, we've also talked about myth number two, which is you don't need to be good at math to be good at money. Calculators exist on your phone. 
you know, there's all, all these apps will do it for you. Like you don't need to, you don't have to worry about the math stuff. That's all taken care of. There is a little bit of logic involved, but nothing that's going to break your head open. You know, it's just about what do I want to know about what my money is doing? Those are the categories I set up. You know, if I don't care about tracking it, I don't have to track it. And that's often my complaint with a lot of the apps and softwares is it gives you this default chart of accounts. And then people try and jam their money into those existing accounts instead of saying, I don't have that. I don't use that. I don't need that, right? If you don't have a pet, you don't need a category for pet expenses. That one's pretty clear. But, but even for other things, you know, if it doesn't, if it's not called what you would call it, change the name. Make it easy on yourself. You're the one that has to understand this, not anybody else. So, you know, you don't have to be good at math. It doesn't matter if, if you think you're just not good at money stuff. We've already talked about it. it's a learnable skill. You don't have to be fluent in the language of finance. You just have to know how to order a beer, get to the bathroom and get to the hotel, right? You can yeah. go far with just that. And then myth number three, you, you aren't oh, good was, at money. Yeah. That's sort of folded in there. Right. Again, it's, it's not just because you haven't been good at money historically doesn't mean you can't learn something new. Um, yeah. I mean, our brains are always learning things. Of course we can learn new stuff, even stuff that we don't like or aren't good at. I'm not asking you to be a, a perfect artist. That doesn't mean you can't draw me a sketch of something right? I can get the gist. That's all we need. It's just the gist. I don't know. I, I say that because even my stick figures are questionable. Yeah. Um, but maybe, maybe with enough drawing and, and for myth number four and five, I do want to pivot to small businesses and mm -hmm. entrepreneurs because, uh, I'm, I'm going to read these ones because I have a follow-up question on them. Yeah. Uh, Myth number four is only big companies have this stuff figured out. And myth number five is all bookkeepers are the same, which we already covered that one earlier. But for those that are thinking about it, noodling back of their head, launching that t-shirt company or, you know, becoming a coach or, you know, launching a podcast, uh, where do they start? When do they need a bookkeeper? Why do they need a bookkeeper? Um, so as a bookkeeper, my answer is you don't. You don't really need a bookkeeper. And I know that's a funny thing to say, but here's why I'm saying it. Because a bookkeeper, I mean, and the industry has changed a lot. And this is boring to everybody but me. The industry has changed so much with, you know, the online software that's been developed and all of these apps growing, you know, out of nothing and virtual assistants becoming a thing. And some of them know some of these softwares. And so, shout out to Paige, our virtual assistant who does social media because she's amazing, but she doesn't do the financial side, but she is amazing. So I had to call that one out. <laughs> yeah. And, and different virtual assistants do different things, right? You can exactly. get a, a, an administrative assistant or a marketing assistant or a financial assistant. So if you have someone that does admin, it's not unheard of for them to know how to do data entry into a software like QuickBooks or something. So is that a bookkeeper? No, but it's someone who does bookkeeping. Mm -hmm. um, I also love it when owners or freelancers learn how to do their own bookkeeping. To me, that's learning how to drive the, the stick shift, right? 
Yes, it's a little bit more complicated. Yes, there's an easier way to do this. But now that you know that you can, you know how to delegate from a place of empowerment. You know what it takes to get it done. So it doesn't just feel like this big, weird, amorphous yuck. You know, you're like, yeah, it sucks. I hate doing it. It's not the best use of my time. I'm going to outsource it. Great. Outsource it. So, so bookkeeping has to a large extent been automated. You know, you can set up rules so that every time you see Zoom come in on your debit or credit card, you go, that's software. I don't even need anybody to enter that. The software is going to enter itself. That this um, artificial intelligence and, and learning is becoming really sophisticated. So when it is time, you'll, you do need a, an accountant, a tax accountant, almost immediately because they're the compliance person. They're the ones that are going to keep you out of trouble. You will know when you need a bookkeeper because you'll say, I'm tired of doing this shit. I don't want to do this anymore. That's the moment to hire a bookkeeper. And again, how much better of a position will you be? And if you've done it a little bit yourself and then have someone come in and give you some expert guidance on, oh, you know, I think your systems, or you could even, one of the things we do a lot, or most bookkeepers do, I imagine, is to help people get set up correctly. Right. Let's customize the chart of accounts. Let's show you how to enter in income and expenses and talk about like different ways that you could do that. Look at reports so that you go, oh, it's not so bad. I can totally do that myself. And it shouldn't take you more than half an hour, hour a week. And I always love to do what I call money dates, which is let's just make this experience as pleasant as possible. Right. We know we got to go to the stupid dentist. We might as well go and like listen to nice music and have nice lighting. You know, I need to make a dentist appointment. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, find a time where you're not super stressed out. You can do bookkeeping in front of the TV. That's okay. But if it helps you, if it's, if it's something that requires your concentration, you know, have a good snack first, bring a, bring a beverage, set a timer and don't do it for longer than is going to be tolerable. So even if you only do it for 15 or 20 minutes, if you don't finish, that's fine. It'll still be there, you know, and work on building up that tolerance, but make sure that, you know, you're comfortable, you're cozy, the, you know, you've got good music on, you've got good lighting on and, and all the things that sort of counterbalance the stress of this task called bookkeeping until, you know, like learning a language or riding a bike or driving a car, you're like, that's not so bad. I still don't love it, but I can totally do it. Uh, and I agree to that because I didn't learn how to ride a bike until my twenties. I don't love it. I can do it. Yeah. I love it, but I can do it. And, and something to add on. And I think something that I found that I had to make a choice and it's, it goes a lot into how you're talking about bookkeepers as well as virtual assistants is. I, when I was looking for my checking account for the business, there are first off like a gazillion different options out there in the world. And one thing that was really important to me was to understand is what are the benefits? Uh, what are the, the pros and cons of it? And I found with the type of service that I use a con, but they do say up front, it does not sync with QuickBooks. You know what? Cool. I know that. Either I have to do it manually, may get a VA to do it. I don't know. But I know that up front. 
And those are the type of things for businesses when you're going out there and looking at this stuff. Those are also type of things that you can consider um, where to me, they had some type of bonus happening if you use it. And I'm like, you know, I'm not going to get to the point where I need a bookkeeper for a while. So that short term bonus is going to be more beneficial to the business than thinking with QuickBooks. Yep, exactly. And we're getting towards the end of our time. And I just want to double check in. Is there anything that you were like, we got to cover this on this episode that we did not cover so far that you wanted to? I mean, I think the the practical tip that I'm almost always giving out to people who are like, but where do I start? Not just in business. You know, if, if you're starting a small business, go read Profit First. Um, and the other book that I would say you should always read is uh, Business Made Simple. By Donald Miller. Those two books together are, are kind of cover marketing and back office. But for personal as well, this idea of, you know, I know I'm supposed to pay myself first, but how, when there's so many expenses, how do I do it? And, and what I say is we'll just set aside 1% of your income into a savings account, just 1%, peel it off, put it aside, and then watch it grow. Most people, unless you're in such dire financial straits as I was, can afford to put aside 1%. If you can't, boy, that's a really good indicator that things are very bad. Red flags are flying. Like something has to change and do whatever you can to change that. If you can't cut back expenses, like find a way to go make more money, whether that's going back to school or, you know, whatever it is um, so that you can increase your income because after you've cut back expenses to a certain point, you can't cut back any further. It's impossible. You must increase your income. And again, that was the piece that I think I didn't really know. So if 1% works out, cool, maybe you can shift that to 2%. Or if you do get a pay increase or start getting more money from a new source, set uh, just set all of the new money into the savings account so you're still living on the same amount maybe give yourself a little 5 or 10% bump cuz yay um but try not to let your expenses rise to meet your new income and just watch that money grow and then use that to uh, you know move towards some personal goal whether that's finally investing or maxing out your your retirement savings or taking a vacation or replacing your, you know, your old vehicle or whatever it is, you know, letting money work for you. Because I do believe fundamentally money is a force for good, right? Money greatly accelerates our ability to make change in this world. And I think it's well past time that radically kind people get comfortable with money. So it's, you know, it's a good, it's a good thing to learn how to use this tool for the good that it was intended for. Can it be used for evil? Sure. So can a hammer. It's not what it was made for, right? So let's begin to, to sort of infuse that positive value and positive impact making back into the money that surrounds our world. Just because you make it, you don't have to keep it. 100%. And that. That really hits home in the fact of when I first, when I was in my 20s and I started making more money, I was like, oh, I need to go see a financial advisor. And 
first thing a financial advisor does, and they help you invest your money um, in case anybody listening doesn't know what a financial advisor does. Um, he goes through like my, um, my finances with me and he's like, yeah, you can't invest yet. He's like, well, technically you can, but you shouldn't. And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, you're so far in debt that you will eventually become bankrupt. Yeah. And I didn't really know what that meant. I I honestly didn't know what anything money meant. And it was the type of thing that as you're talking about cutting back expenses and, or go get another job, or I was definitely that person that was like, fuck money. I can't do it. I can't go anywhere. And yes, there are circumstances where that is very, very true. We need to be able to help people get through that with, you know, that's why we have, uh, the government does help us out, at least in the U.S. Um, and there, that that is something that we will talk about on other episodes and dig in deeper there. For people that have the means, such as to put away that 1%, things that never cross my mind of things that I could cut back on were getting a smaller place, getting a roommate. I'm an only child. I don't do well with strangers in my bubble. I got, I've gotten roommates. It's not fun for some, some roommates I loved, you know, no Netflix. Yeah. That one just makes me really sad just thinking about it, but. Or share a Netflix. Yes. Yes. Our community, uh, our network is our greatest resource. Again, there's this stupid myth that we should be able to do this all on our own. So stupid. No, no. Ask your friends to do free stuff. There's free zoo days. There's free museum days. There's parks outside. There can be snowball fights. I will say being in Arizona I feel like that was a bit more limited when it's 120 degrees outside. Less snowballs. And <laughs> yeah, there's not necessarily like you can't bundle up and there may not be pools available. Only because I lived there for so long, I did find that a bit of a struggle, but there's libraries. Right. And so there's volunteering. Rather than seeing it as a struggle, which it is, I don't want to minimize that see it as a challenge, right? What wackadoodle crazy thing can my friends and I go do this week that's low cost that we might not have ever, I mean, Groupon, right? Has yes. introduced us to a whole new world of, I can do what for five bucks? Okay. Um, yes. You know, and, and that's, I think that's the fun in it is there's so much to be discovered when you step out of your comfort zone that's really quite enjoyable or can be, you know, unfortunately that's not Agreed. guaranteed, but. Agreed. Creativity abounds. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And another one that adding to just random ideas of uh, Facebook marketplace has random free stuff. So does, you know, like Craigslist and a few other apps and something that has become much more popular is like refurbishing furniture. You can do that for 
pretty minimal cost. It's something to do. I thoroughly enjoy it because I go into like my Zen mode when I'm doing it. And, but it's like finding out what you can do that is not just going out and spending a lot of money. And so for all of our listeners, I am very, very curious if you could put it in Ian's audiogram when we post it on Instagram and Twitters and everywhere. What is something that you do that to cut costs? Because I'm very curious what everybody else does. And Ian, question for you. What is something, some words of wisdom that people could really use right now? I mean, I think it's, it's repeating things I've already said. Please do not try to do this on your own because it's just not fun, right? Find, find people who are in the same space as you that are willing to be on this adventure with you do some learning together, whether they're friends or strangers, you know, there's, there's no need to try to figure this stuff out on your own um, and keep at it. Cause you've done hard stuff before. hundred percent. And also like, I know that we're going to have questions on this, so we might have Ian back to answer a random question. How do, in the meantime, how do people reach out to you? The easiest way is just go find me on my website, which is moxiebookkeeping.com. There's how do you spell moxie? Of- just to make sure X I E and bookkeeping is B O O K K E E P I N G bookkeeping two O's, two K's, two E's. I don't know why I went back to booking. Like I'm, you know, I'm glad you spelt it out. (laughs) And what is something that you're grateful for? Oh, everything. I, I, feel like I keep my sanity by remembering every morning, at least five things I'm grateful for. Um, and I mean, we, uh, we adopted a dog two years ago from the shelter. He's adorable. And he's just the light of my life. (laughs) I just, I'm so grateful for him. (laughs) I love doggos. Dogs are the best, the best. Yay. And for myself, I will say I am grateful for, as you guys can tell, I am very sniffly that I haven't gotten into a sneezing fit because I almost did a few minutes ago. So as you guys have heard, I'm always very sneezy on many of these episode recordings. That is just my life. So I am grateful I made it through our episode without sneezing. Yes. Well, thank you, Ian. We appreciate you. Till next time. We appreciate you listening to the episode. Please like, follow, and share on our social media at shit to talk about. That is shit the number two talk about. Stay tuned on Wednesdays and Fridays for new episodes. This episode was made possible by production manager Trom Nguyen, business manager Bill Powell, and your host Jen.